Hi, how are you all? It is so good to see you. Would you please turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 8. I want to share this place in Scripture with you because it's, it's absolutely incredible because of the buildup of what has been going on in this 8th chapter of Romans. Paul has explained to us in, in chapters, in verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, that there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And basically what he is saying, there's no legal blame of your sin any longer. You are freed from that. In fact, it says that the power of the Holy Spirit in verses 1 through 11 overcomes all of our sin. We have been set free from our sin. We are therefore to walk, we are told, according to the Spirit and not the flesh. And then we were told that we are adopted in verses 14 through 17, adopted into God's forever family, sons, daughters of God. And then last week we learned that, that we are to suffer, not maybe suffer, but, but we will suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. I want you to read with me again verses 17 and 18. It says if, and the word if there, as we learned last week, is not maybe we will and maybe we won't. Really it's translated since. It says since we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Not if indeed, but since indeed we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us in heaven itself. Well, after understanding the realization of suffering, Paul speaks of that our suffering, our pain, becomes almost like a sigh, a groan within our spirit. When can we get through with this suffering, the trials that go on on this earth. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the second chapter, let me just read it to you. If you want to, you may turn there, of course. But Exodus chapter 2, verses 23, 24, and 25. It's not up on the screen because I uh, kind of added this last night. It says, It came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, They cried for help because of their bondage. And they cried up and their cries rose up before God. It says in verse 24, So God heard their groanings. And He remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And He saw the sons of Israel and He took notice of them. Our sufferings, our groanings come up before God there are three, three sources, I would say, that explains groaning here in Romans chapter 8. It says in verses 19 through 22 that creation groans. It says in verses 23, 24, and 25 that we believers groan. And then it says in verse 26 and 27 that the Holy Spirit prays for us with, with groanings that are too deep for words. The first two groanings, creation and us, are lamenting over the long-awaited deliverance from suffering. 
The third groaning, that of the Holy Spirit, is the groanings of His prayers on our behalf, His interceding for us, taking our prayers up to God with groanings, it says, too deep for words. I want you to read this place in Scripture with me. We will take a look at just each grouping um, for each week. At least for this week, we'll take a look how creation groans for us. I want you to read with me. After Let's read verse 18 to verse 27. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says in verse 19, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not on its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Verse 23, And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Verse 26. And in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We'll take a look at each one of those sources of groaning from from creation to us as believers to the Holy Spirit. Sufficient today, let's take a look at creation, how it groans and longs to see us be redeemed as believers. It's an amazing place in Scripture. One of the fellows came up to me in between the services when we were having breakfast and said, I've, I don't know if I've ever read that before. I never thought about creation groaning for us as believers. I want to share that with you this morning. Let's pray. Please, Lord, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. And Father, I want to pray for those who have given of their lives for us in the services so that we might have freedom, come to church and worship you and have that, that privilege, Lord God, that they have paid the ultimate price. And I want to pray for the families, those who have lost loved ones and just, I'm sure, groan and lament over, over that, that loss. I pray, Father, that, that you might open our eyes to see the wonders of your word and that you would take me and move me aside. Father, please... Hide me behind the wonders of what we read. Help us to understand what you want us to know and may it bless us. And selfishly, Father, I'd like to pray for Doc. I pray that you would help him get well. Uh, if you'd find a, a, a donor for him for, for a heart, dear Father, please let that happen. 
but uh, not our will, Father, yours be done, but please watch over, Doc. I pray your blessings upon us all, Father, as we study now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Paul is about to teach you and me that not only believers are to be redeemed, but also this creation is longing to be redeemed as well. In verses 19 to 22, the first groan comes from creation. Because creation now exists in a corrupt condition that was caused by the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It says in verse 19, look, the the creation anxiously longs. That word in the Greek is a long word. It's A-P-O-K-A-R-A-D-O-K-I-A. It's a very vivid word. It literally refers to someone that is watching and waiting with anticipation. It's almost like to be, to be used as someone who is on their tiptoes, straining their neck to see what is taking place. Creation is imagined or pictured by Paul as standing on its tiptoes, straining to see what is going to take place, waiting, looking with great anticipation. In verses 19 to 22, the creation stands for animals, plants, all inanimate, inanimate objects, such as the earth, mountains, the rivers, the seas, heavenly bodies, and so on. God's creation, we are told, groans in anticipation for the coming eternal perfection of the saints in heaven. The words, waits eagerly, is another long Greek word, refers to patiently waiting with great anticipation. Look at verse 19. It says that creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. And Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, he concurs with this thought. He says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed then you also, talking to believers, you also will be revealed with Him in glory. You see, at the appointed time, God is going to reveal those of us who are His. He will reveal us into glory, into heaven, into paradise. And He says, He promises, He will not lose a one of us. Your salvation is assured. It is at that time that believers will be eternally separated from sin. Finally, sin will be over with. All sorrow, all tears, all just heartaches will be done with. And our mortal earthly bodies will be gone and we will be glorified with the righteousness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in heaven. But not just us, but creation too. Verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Creation, verse 21, creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption unto the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation right now groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. You see, before the fall, there was no weeds, no poisonous plants, no thorns, no thistles, nothing that could cause man misery or harm. But after the fall, it says in verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it. 
God himself put a curse upon this earth in which we live and upon mankind. So the word futility there carries the idea, it's M-A-T-A-I-O-T-E-S in the Greek, it carries the idea of being without success. Futility means unable to achieve its purpose. Because of our sin, creation now exists not as how God originally planned it to be. Imagine the beauty of it when we get to heaven. The verb in verse 20, was subjected, indicates that creation did not curse itself, but was cursed by someone else. Well, Paul tells us it was cursed and executed by its creator, God himself. Now, let me tell you something about this truth, about this creation in which we live, this earth on which we live. In physics, there is a law called the the law of entropy. It refers to a constant and irreversible degrading of matter and energy. That scientific law clearly contradicts the theory of evolution. Evolution is based on the premise that the natural world will continue to get better and better and better. But truth is found when you just plant a a simple garden. If you plant a garden, leave it unintended, it deteriorates. Weeds and other desirable plants will always choke out the good ones. And the natural bent for the universe is the same downward bent. Why? Why is it moving downward and not upward? Well, because in verse 21, creation is in slavery to the corruption of sin. Yet, despite this continual corruption of sin, neither man nor the universe is going to bring about the earth's ultimate destruction. Can't happen. That process is in the hands of God and God alone. So there's no need to fear. There's no need to fear of of human destruction of our earth. You know, this whole idea of global warming, and and then when they found out it wasn't warming, really it was kind of cooling, then they called it just climate change, or whatever, to make it right. Now, I'm not against clean air. I'm not. Nobody should be. I'm not against all taking care of this good earth in which we live. But but man needs to fear God only. The destiny of this earth in which we live is entirely in His hands. And that destiny one day includes God's total destruction of this sin-cursed universe. We are told that. Peter says in 2 Peter Chapter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord, he says, will come like a thief. He says, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. He says, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burnt up. That destruction is on a scale more powerful than any man-made catastrophe could ever achieve. The earth... And mankind will be here until God says, enough. So various environmental and government agencies today make a very noble attempt to protect and restore the earth, which is credible, should. But they are helpless to turn the tide of of the earth's corruption. You see, it's not the environment that is corrupting the earth. It is sin. And that is what is causing global disasters. 
That's the destruction of sin. It came through one man, Adam and his wife Eve, and it affected all of us and the entire universe as well. Decay, disease, death, disaster, pollution, all forms of evil will never cease, not until God, who sent the curse upon this earth and upon mankind, removes it. And then he who creates will create a new heaven and a new earth. And I cannot wait to see what that must look like. In Second Peter, Peter says in verse, chapter 3, verse 13, he says, But according to God's promise... We are looking for a new heaven and a new earth. Why? He says, in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, what he is saying is that God will create a new heaven and a new earth in which the Son of God will dwell. And there we will dwell with Him, never having to worry about sin again. We will receive His righteousness. Praise the Lord. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. In spite of the curse of this earth, there is still the beauty and the grandeur and the benefits of the natural world around us today. Think about it. My wife grows flowers, plants, and grows things. She always brings it in and says, look how beautiful this is. Look at the, the shape of it. It's just beautiful. And smell it, you know. And I, I pretend that I really like it, you know. And, and I, I, I think, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Let me smell it again. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. But the truth of the matter is it's beautiful. It is beautiful. God still creates things beautifully. My, my sense of beauty on this earth, my sense of grandeur on this earth is is in the wintertime when it snows on the mountains and, and we get some rain and you can see the mountains as if you can touch them. I, I, that to me, I see in the mountains the majesty of God. And it, to me, it's absolutely beautiful. Go into a forest, they're lush. The skies, the sun, the, the, the moon, the stars, they are they're just beautiful, uh, still majestic. We have food, we have water, we have air that sustains our life day by day. And in spite of the terrible curse from God upon this earth and upon mankind, His majesty, His gracious provision for us as people is still evident upon this earth. And why? Why? Why is He so gracious to us? Well, we have studied why. Back in Romans chapter 1, And verse 20, God tells us clearly why He does that. Why does God allow His beauty and provision to be so evident? In spite of our sin. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes, For since the creation of this world, God's invisible attributes, God's eternal power, God's divine nature has been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they, they meaning mankind, but they really meaning unbelievers, are without excuse. In other words, God has made himself clearly seen by everyone so that there is absolutely no reason for any person on the face of this earth to have a valid excuse for not believing in him. You see, everyone is without excuse. God still shows His majesty in the midst of all this curse. So, can you imagine, even just 
vaguely imagine what is it going to look like when, when he creates this new heaven and the new earth that is, is how he originally wanted it to look like. I mean, it, it's going to be beyond anything that you and I could ever dream of. In verse 21 and 22, it says, Creation will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, creation is looking forward to our being set free from our sin. Creation is longing to see us in that state. It says in verse 22, We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together till now. In other words, verses 21 and 22 tells us, just as man's sin brought corruption to this earth on which we live, so God restoring us to righteousness will bring forth His restoration to the creation that He has created in its original, divinely intended perfection and glory, like nothing you and I will ever see. So, we see that not only does the natural earth creation groan for deliverance from the consequences of sin, but as it says in verses 23 to 25, we also groan. Look at verse 23 with me and read it for a moment. We'll just briefly go over this for the next remaining two or three minutes. It says, not only this, the universe groans, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan. We groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope, that means in faith, we have been saved. But hope or faith that is seen is not hope or faith. For who hopes or who has faith for what he has already seen? Verse 25, But if we hoped or have faith for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. We wait to see what is all going to be like. None of us has seen heaven. One day we will see it face to face. We will see our Lord face to face. And face to faith and faith. Face to face. And we will see Him as He is. We look forward to that time. We wait in faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 6, are two of my favorite verses in Scripture. They're very, very pure in, in what they say. I put them almost to memory. I, I kind of will look down and catch a glimpse of it. But Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For God for the one who comes to God must believe that He is and that He will reward those who seek Him. The redemption of believers is central to God's ultimate plan of regeneration, of redemption, of, of salvation. For those of you who are here and, and you're not certain you know the Lord, we beg of you, we plead of you, if you hear that small, still voice within your heart of hearts, come, come to Christ. Please come. Come to believe and trust in Him. Allow us to help you move on this journey, this road of, 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 of growing in your faith, of understanding what, what salvation truly means. Like the, the couple that I spoke of earlier before the service kind of began, a, 
of, of them coming to Christ. They came a long way to come to believe and trust. And, and now they're, they've got a family that just is, all of them are grounded in the Lord. All of them love the Lord. It's, it's quite a beautiful picture. I, I pray that for all of us. You and I, as it says in verse 23, have been adopted into God's family. And that comes through faith and faith alone in God's beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Come to trust in Him. And because you come to trust in Him, you become a fellow heir with God, fellow heirs with Christ, fellow heirs of His glorious and eternal and righteous kingdom that is waiting for us in heaven that we groan, we long for, so that we can put aside the sufferings of this earth and live in perfection and glory forever and ever. It's an amazing thing. Next week we'll see how that, that groaning and longing is really lived out in our lives. I, I, would, I would beg of you not to miss next week. It's an amazing place in Scripture. Let's pray. Father, please bless us. Lord, we ask that you would, uh, you would allow us to take time this weekend to, to respectfully honor those who have given up their lives for us, for our freedom. Father, it makes me think ultimately of you allowing your son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross so that we might have freedom from sin, so that we would be children of yours, adopted into your family. It's hard to imagine even the creation itself groans for that moment that when we become set free from this earthly body, to be with you forever and ever in heaven, to, to meet back with our loved ones who have gone and passed away before us. Father, would you please bless this day? Bless all the people that are here, those that, that came in the other two services. Bless us all, Father. and Bless this church, I pray. I pray this in the most precious name of all. That's the name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you all so much. Thank you so much for being here. I really look forward to seeing you next week.